It's wonderful to be with you this morning and to have the chance to continue our sermon series throughout this season after Easter as we look at how the early church turned the world upside down. And they were living by the values of the kingdom of heaven within the kingdoms of earth, and they were so different, so fundamentally uh, different from the values of those around them that the only thing their critics could say about them is they're turning the world upside down. Somebody stop them. How great it would be if the greatest critics of the, uh, the church today, if that was their criticism, if that's what, what they had, had to say uh, about the, the church, was they're turning the world upside down. Somebody stop them. And we're celebrating today. Uh, the church is going to be a part of that turning the upside down world upside down ministry that that began with, with the very earliest church as in this room at six o'clock 18 confirmand sixth graders who've been through our confirmation class will come forward and they will profess their faith in Jesus Christ their desire to join the church if they haven't been baptized they'll be baptized we'll lay our hands on them and and pray for them and then uh, they'll be members of the church and in a season in time when most, most of the culture is telling them to live in such a way and to seek ways to lift themselves up, they're coming forward in front of the most important people in their lives to say, we want to be a part of lifting Jesus up and we want to be a part of lifting others up. And that's what we want our life to be all about because we've taken this class and for 30 weeks, we've stud, studied nothing except the Old Testament, the New Testament, and church history and church beliefs. And we've learned about this man, Jesus, and we've learned the very foundations of the Christian faith about how it is all about lifting him up and serving others. Uh, and in a world that, that put, where we're all trying to get ahead and put ourselves above others, uh, that's not what we want. We want to be the people who lift others up and we want to be the people who lift Christ up. I'm so thankful I can be a part of a community that helps shape young persons in, in that way. And we all need to be continually shaped in that way because the voices of our culture can get in and they have an impact and we don't think they do, but they do because it's the water in which we swim and a fish is always dependent upon the water in which it swims. So uh, if you have a fish and you have bad chemicals in the water, that fish is gonna have those chemicals in its bloodstream. If we have sinful uh, values in our culture, those are gonna, uh, we, we can't say that we're immune to that what we have to do is we have to constantly be looking to Jesus Christ, our cure, our medicine. And so one of the ways we do that daily uh, is through reading our Bible and praying daily. Uh, we have what's called the Grow Through the Bible Reading Plan here. You can f pick it up at the Information Center or you can find it at concordunited.org slash Bible. It's a, a plan for you that will go along with these messages. Right now it will take you through the book of Acts and it's a manageable amount to read each day. If you go to the website, you can also find there that you have a daily devotion. You can sign up for an email or podcast form. It's going to take you a little deeper into the scriptures each day written uh, by folks just like you in our congregation as well as pastors and staff and then it's going to give you a prayer focus for the day I cannot encourage you strongly enough to be a part of that it is the cure for so much of the values uh, of the culture that need to be confronted in our lives with the values of the kingdom of heaven now, uh, today we're looking at how the early church had this value that was different of the Culture looked at others and said, no, not them. And the early church said, yes, even them. Uh, I don't know uh, when you first found in your life that you were justifying yourself by, by pushing others down. I was 11 years old. 
I was sitting in worship at Fountain City United Methodist Church on the north side of town. At the time, our senior pastor was Reverend Bill Kilday, who later would become pastor here at, at Concord and now attends here at Concord in retirement. And back then, Fountain City United Methodist Church, we were in the traditional sanctuary and we had the beautiful looking wooden pews. They were beautiful to look at. They were not beautiful to sit in, right? Because it was hardwood on the bottom, hardwood on the back. They were specifically designed to keep you from going to sleep because you were in too much pain, right? Well, I had made it through the music. We, we were in the, in, the sermon, in the sermon and Reverend Kilday said something. He said, now a lot of you right now are thinking, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than those Presbyterians down the street. And that was the first time in worship that I'd ever had a pastor say something and my honest reaction was, how'd he know, <laughs> right? It was like he was talking just to me, like he looked into my soul. I didn't even know what a Presbyterian was, but I thought I was better than them, right? All I knew is they had a slightly smaller church and their church campus was kept, you know, wasn't quite as nicely mowed as ours. That, that was all I knew and I felt completely morally superior. And at times, you know, you have those people, you're like, oh, I messed up, but not as bad as that guy. Not, not, not like that. It gets into us. It's in our culture. It gets in deep. And it's funny when we talk about an adolescent who has a misconception about another denomination. It's not funny when we let it dig in for years and years and it breaks down relationships and it breaks down communities and it breaks down families and it causes us to denigrate and demonize and oppress. That's not funny at all. And that, but this is all where, all where it starts and it's what we need to be cured from. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself feeling bad when someone else succeeds or good when they fail. My goodness, what kind of person would do that, right? Who among us would do that, would feel good when somebody failed or, or bad when they succeeded, right? We, we know it. What's the Bible tell us? What's Romans chapter 12 verse 5 say? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice, that, that's what we're instructed to do. That's the values of the kingdom of heaven. But that's not often what we do because we look at others and we want to say, well, we're better than them. And then it, if, if good things happen to them, we think, well, well, why'd God let something good happen to them? If you've ever felt that way, that's a sign that you need what Jesus in the early church discovered or what Jesus taught and what the early church d discovered. I honestly believe one of our greatest regrets in life will be the successes we fail to celebrate and the failures in which we rejoiced. I think we'll look back and we'll say, how could we? How, how could I have done that? But we know how we could have done that. We, we, we know that we just like being able to think, well, we're, we're better than them. And that, that's no different from the folks in the early church. Peter, the guy... Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church with you as one of the most fundamental leaders in it. You're going to be the, after I'm gone, you're going to be the head of the church in Jerusalem. And that's what happened with Peter. And Jesus was resurrected. Peter was leading the church in Jerusalem. They, they were growing like crazy. But Peter didn't really see uh, that uh, people 
from outside. Even though he'd been with Jesus when Jesus did ministry to Gentiles, he thought, well, you pretty much have to be Jewish. To, to really get Jesus, you, you pretty much ha- have to be Jewish. And, and this, of course, is out of line with Jesus' teachings. Jesus says uh, God can raise up rocks, you know, sons of Abraham from rocks. That's how, that's how Peter felt. That's how most of them felt. Culture they were raised in, that's, that's what they lived in. Well, one day, Peter's out, and uh, Peter is praying, and he has this vision. And this sheet is, is lowered down, and on it are all these animals. And every one of the animals was an animal that was restricted. It was unclean. According to the Jewish food laws, they were not allowed to eat these animals. Peter sees them all, and then Peter hears a voice from God. And this voice is what I like to describe uh, as uh, the uh, theme verse for all of you. Any hunters in the congregation today? Anybody know when, when deer season? If, if you know when muzzle loading season starts, this is probably your theme verse, okay? Uh, it, verse thir- uh, Acts 10, verse 13. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat, right? Get up, kill and eat. And Peter's like, What? All my life, I've been taught not to do this. Now you're telling me to do this. Like, if I'm Peter right now, I'm like, I could have been having bacon for years. Like, for real. Things I would have liked to have known yesterday. But for, for Peter, Peter's confused and, and doesn't know what to make of it until right after he has the vision, there's a knock on his door, and it's a servant of the Roman centurion Cornelius. Now, let me tell you a little bit about who Cornelius is. Cornelius is a centurion, uh, we know, in what's called the Italian cohort. The the Italian cohort was an elite group of troops uh, that were Roman citizens. The the, The Roman armies also conscripted local soldiers, largely from poor families, in the areas in which they conquered. But that's not who these guys were. These guys were the elite folks. This was the Italian cohort, and they were in the Syrian legion. Now, a centurion oversees, you guessed it, a century. A century, interestingly enough, is not 100 soldiers, it's 80. I don't know why it should be 100, but in Rome, it was 80. Now, each Roman century is part of a cohort. A cohort is six centuries for a total of 480 soldiers. Each cohort is part of a legion. A legion is 10 cohorts for a total of 4,800 soldiers. And they were part of the Syrian legion overseeing all of Syria. And Cornelius uh, was in charge of the group, uh, the from the Italian cohort, the elite among the legion, then that was stationed in Caesarea Maritime, which was the city uh, that was their military base within the region of Judea, which was known as one of the most volatile regions. So what that tells us is that he was part of an elite troop and they were given uh, the biggest assignment in that part of the world. We also know he was a really good guy. He wasn't someone who just came in uh, to shut other people down with power. He moved his whole family to that area. He was known as being generous. He gave money 
to local charitable causes among the Jews. And we know he, he, we believe he gave money to the synagogues. He was what was known as a God-fearer. He actually learned to pray to the God of Israel. Now, most likely before this experience in his life, he also prayed to other gods because he came from a polytheistic background in Rome. That's, that's just who he was. That's how he was taught. But he, he appreciated the Jewish teachings on God and he was trying to incorporate them into his life. He was widely respected and appreciated by the Jewish people of that day, which is really saying something uh, for a Roman officer to have that feeling uh, among the, the Jewish people. And he had also been praying. And Cornelius prayed and God told him to send his servant to a man named Simon Peter who was praying at that time and have that servant bring Simon Peter back. So this is what happened. Now, when the servant comes back and tells, the, tells Peter this, Peter's first response is, I shouldn't go. Because it's not right for Peter. He becomes unclean by going into a Gentile household. And his first response is to turn down the invitation. But then at that moment, he realizes what his vision meant. He realizes that his vision meant that all these things that they thought justified them before God, like purity and cleanliness laws and, and food, that that was all well and good if you wanted to do that to honor God. But that wasn't what it was all about. That wasn't what God was all about. And that through Christ, God had opened up this connection to God, to all people, to the Gentiles. And so Peter goes and he talks about his experience and how profoundly this affects them, where he went from saying, even them, to yes, even them. This comes uh, to us from Acts chapter 10. We pick up with verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then jumping over to verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, that means the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. That's, that, that was his experience. He finally came to see, oh wait, God has opened this up to, to everyone. And what ha what's happened is, and what happened in his life, even though we might look at his life with Jesus and say, why didn't you get this earlier? Is that sin teaches us to place our self-worth in being better than others. That's sin's greatest trick is to, to get us to feel like we're good people, like we're fine because we're so much, we're so much better than others. And that's, that's a loser's game, friends. And, and then there, there's Jesus who's showing us a different way, a way that, that literally turn, turns the world upside down because we can find any reason to, to think we're better than others, Right? Uh, we, we think we're better than others because we have more money than others. We think we're better than others because we have less money than others. We think we have, uh, we're better than others because we live in a big house. We think we, we're better than others because we live in a not so big house. We think we're better than others because we live in the South. We think we're better than others because we're from the North. We think we're better th than others because uh, we live in East Tennessee, the most beautiful place in the world. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, see, we do, like bl bl blatantly do. Um, 
We, we think we're uh, better than others because we have more education than them. We think we're better than others because we have less education than them. We think we're better than others because what our family name is. We think we're better than others because of the citizenship and our, of our citizenship and nationality. Uh, we, we think we're better than others uh, because, of our, uh, poli- because our political opinions are different than others. We think we're better than others because we get inside jokes they don't. We think we're better than others because our yard looks nicer than others. We, we come up with all sorts. We think we're better than others because we're on the team. We think we're better than others because we, we made the grade. We think we're better than others because we're in the in crowd. We, we do all that, right? We just do that. And the gospel turns all that upside down. Just takes it all because there's Jesus. And what does Jesus do on the cross? On the cross, Jesus looks at his Jewish mama and his Jewish best friend And he said, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He's putting them together as a family to take care of them. And then he looks at these Gentile soldiers, these Roman soldiers who are crucifying him and who are inflicting vast amounts of pain on him. And he says, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then if to get worse, he looks at the thief on the cross beside him. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You could see this coming. Peter maybe shouldn't have been surprised, but just like us, he was so ingrained with the values of the world that it took a lot. It took a special vision from God to help break through with the values of the kingdom of heaven, even for someone who literally spent years of his life walking and talking with Jesus. It still took a special vision to break through. Goodness knows we need that too in in our lives because I wanna tell you something about Jesus. When you look at Jesus, who he is, what he said, what he did. Friends, tonight when those confirmands come and they stand on the stage and they accept Jesus as their Lord, uh, what, what they need to know, what you need to know, is that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's nor- Lord of none. He can't be Lord of some. Now you can reject his Lordship, you can run from it, but he's either over all creation and he's in charge of it all or he's in charge of none of us. Because if he were just Lord of some, that means that somehow he's either not powerful or loving enough for all. Either he just isn't good enough to care about everybody and love everybody unconditionally, or he's not powerful enough to do so, where there's just too many of us, right? Population got out of control. He can't scale his compassion that big, all right? He's either Lord of all or Lord of none. He can't be Lord of just some who look like us, who think like us, who believe like us, who, who vote like us, who live like us. That, that, that can't be who he is. He, he has to be Lord of all. He, it's kind of like, have you heard about this group in our country called Sovereign Citizens? Right, they're they're a group that lives in small sects through, throughout the, throughout the country. They're, they're, the FBI keeps a good watch on them because here here's what here's what they believe. They believe that they don't have to be members of the country in which they're born. They believe that th- they only need to be citizens of the country in which they're born if they want to be, and that their private property is their own kingdom. And that they have a southern country to themselves on their private property so that they should be able to choose whether or not to pay taxes or participate in any other civic engagements asked for by, by our government. And so they just think they're kings and queens of their own little uh, plot, plot of land. And y- you know what? The FBI doesn't care. Like they don't care if you think you're a sovereign citizen. You're living in the United States. You have to play by the rules. With God, 
You can decide you're a sovereign citizen. You can decide for yourself that you can go do whatever you want. But you're living in our Father's world. You're living in the world created by our Father in heaven. And you're living in the world where Jesus is Lord. And Lord, in those days, uh, today we've kind of lost this meaning, but in the biblical world, the word Lord kind of meant commanding officer. He sets the rules. He calls the shots. And you can choose to follow him. He's unbelievably lenient with those who don't. But whether you do or not, the case is the same. Like he's, he's the Lord. He, he, he's the one in charge. And you might live most of your life without knowing it. But it's the case. And even if you do, he's still going to try to reach out to you. And he's, he w- wants to make sure you don't end your life not knowing it. I think about a lady in our church who came to know Jesus towards the end of her life. She, her name was Anna. Such a wonderful lady. So many gifts. And she grew up with so many challenges. Uh, with hurts that, that are hard to describe. Uh, and she ran uh, from some unhealthy relationships and family systems. Uh, and in her running from, from that pain, uh, she got involved in substance abuse. And there was a time in her life where uh, to support herself, she had to sell her body. And later in life, uh, she met a, a wonderful, loving Christian husband. And he encouraged her to come to this church. And she was nervous about walking in these doors. She is nervous about if someone like her could, could come to church and, and would, would be accepted. Uh, and she came to this church and she found people who loved her, who respected her. You, you didn't know about her. That's just how you are. And that's, that's, that's what you did. And it was still, even with that, it was still hard for her to come in a church uh, but she began towards the end of her life because uh, she, she developed an illness uh, and uh, her body just wasn't able to sustain itself. Uh, but she, at the end of her life, she was reading her Bible. She's praying every day. She knew Jesus as her Lord. And it was very interesting when she passed away. The same week she passed away, uh, we had a, a gentleman with a connection to the church uh, who was a general in the armed services. And we had both those services on, in the same week. And in that week, Larry and I, uh, towards the end of the week, we were getting ready for Sunday. And, and we, we were kind of scrambling a little bit because th- those services uh, t- took a lot. At the, the general, that service uh, takes take some extra uh, when, when you have a general, making sure we honor all the gifts this person has given to the community and to the country. A- and then uh, we, we as a church wanted to make sure we honored uh, what God did through Anna. Well, we got done, and uh, as we were reflecting on the week, we, we kind of made the comment, you know the great thing about our church? When we look at the resources, that, and we, we went all out in each instance. When we look at the resources that we put forth for a general and for Anna, roughly the same. Roughly the same. And the great thing was nobody at our church patted ourselves on the back for that. It was just what we did. Nobody said, isn't this great? It was, it was just what you do because we've got different values, right? Because we, we were given these world turn, upside down turning val- values. It's, it's, it's just what you do. And if you got to hear the story, I want to tell you, um, the most sacred moments in my job often involve a legal pad. Uh, 
Because whenever I get invited to do a funeral, I grab a legal pad and I go and I sit down with the family. And for hours, I write down what they tell me about their loved one. If you'd known Anna, and if you'd known that general, you would have known they were both incredibly courageous people. And you would have known they both overcame major, major obstacles in their life. And you would know that they both had a deep and abiding faith in Jesus Christ as, as their Lord. And we got to be a community that just celebrated that. Friends, do you remember how Peter ends that time with Cornelius? What does he say? He says these words in verse 47. Can anyone withhold the water for baptism from these who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Just hours ago, he was thinking, no, I won't even walk into their house. And now he looks at them and he says, you're just like me. You've received the Holy Spirit just like me. And when you see someone who's received the Holy Spirit, when you see someone who they talk about their life and they talk about their faith and you're like, oh, you're just like me, it changes everything. I'll never forget about 15 or 16 years ago now, I was pastoring a small church up in the hills of Southwestern Virginia and that church had an AA group that met there. And one of the things I wanted to do my first week as pastor, I wanted to go and I wanted to be a part of that group. I just wanted to let them know you're welcome at our church. And so I went and one of the best things, if you have not been to an AA meeting, one of the best things about it, if you're not an alcoholic, is you're not allowed to talk. And as someone who tends to talk a little too much, that was great for me. But I went, and before the meeting started, I just said, hey, I just want you to know how excited we are that you're here at the church. You are welcome here, and, you know, if it's okay, I'd like to just come and observe the meeting. They, they said, that's great, and I sat there, and I kept my mouth shut, and I left that meeting with two thoughts. One, it was my first encounter with the 12 steps, and I thought, my goodness, all that is is a summary of the New Testament. That's all that is. And then, uh, sec secondly, I thought, all those folks in that room— they're just like me. They're just like me. I'm just like them. We have the same disease. We just have different symptoms. Alcohol just happened to be their own unhealthy coping mechanism for life. I have my own unhealthy coping mechanisms, and I need Jesus desperately every day to help me with those, and they need Jesus every day to, to help them with, with theirs. We're just the same. And who are we to withhold the gospel from anyone to whom God sends us? Who are we to withhold the gospel from anyone who walks through the doors of our church? Who are we to withhold the gospel from anyone who moves into our community? Regardless of what uh, they look like, sound like, act like, who are we to, to, to withhold? Where they come from, how they think, who, who do we think we are? Do we think we earned this? Do we think we were born into it? We were all adopted. None of us were born into this right? None, none of us earned our way in. We were chosen. Who, who are we to, to withhold? I want to tell you about someone in our church who just embodied this beautifully for us. M many uh, of you know Billy White. Uh, Billy passed away recently, uh, and for years he was a greeter at our contemporary services here. He, he might have, have shake, shake, shook your hand when, when you came in the door. Whenever Billy was greeting, I always tried to walk through his door. And I wanted, uh, selfishly, I just wanted to get to see his smile and, and, and shake his hand. And, and I wanted to tell him that, that his church loved him. And Billy just had this spirit about him in, in life of, he just saw the good in people. If you talked bad about people around Billy, he'd be like, well, I think he's a nice guy. And you'd be like, yeah, I guess he is. Um, 
Billy uh, loved life. He, he saw all this beauty and he loved serving people. He just loved welcoming people to, to church. Uh, I got to see Billy in the hospital right before he passed away and his favorite food was pizza and his favorite pizza was from Mellow Mushroom and his family had just brought him Mellow Mushroom pizza. I go up to Billy and I say, Billy, how you doing? And he said, Will, I love pizza and my church loves me. I said, yes, Billy, that's exactly right. Everything you said is, is true. And I went to Billy's funeral in Wartburg, Tennessee, small town where his family's from. Uh, he went to school with the sheriff there. He, he was made an honorary deputy by the sheriff's department. During his service, which lasted a good while, the sheriff's department and I believe 10 or 12 of their deputies stood at attention. And then they were the pallbearers that carried his casket out. As we're making our way down Main Street uh, to, to the graveside, there's a fire truck. And they've got one of those big American flags on a, a ladder truck. And it was draped across Main Street. And, and it's coming down. Uh, and uh, we look and there are the firemen standing at attention as Billy passes by. We go by advanced auto parts. I see somebody walking out with like some wiper blades or an oil filter. They stop. They take off their hat. Traffic on the other side of the road doesn't move. And I was later told most of those people in that town knew that was Billy. That's how, that's how they honored him. That's how he made an impact on people. That's how he, he just knew if he saw you, he was going to share Christ's love with you. That's who he was. That's, that's what he did. If we all did that half as well as he did, goodness gracious, we couldn't fit everybody in this church who would want to come, right? Uh, we, we, we would have to knock down all these walls and just add chairs and chair, chairs and chairs if, if we all did that the way Billy, Billy did that. And there are some places where people like Billy, because there are some things in life that Billy wasn't able to do where they're not appreciated, where they're not valued, when they're pushed away. And then when I see a church that says, Billy, you're a leader here. And I see a community where law enforcement and firefighters stand at attention for someone like Billy. I say, that's the kingdom of God right there. That's the kingdom of God taking the world and just turning it upside down. I say, this is how it really is. And I got to tell you, uh, when, when I get to heaven, if I have a big, bigger mansion than Billy, I don't know that I want to be there. Because I'm worried that, that I, according to the Bible, that's not heaven. That may well be hell. Uh, that's, that's not the picture we get in heaven. The picture we get in heaven uh, is one uh, where each person is, is valued. And it's amazing to me to think that when Anna walked in these doors, she may well have been greeted by Billy. And he might have had an impact on her feeling welcome. And she was greeted by many of you. And when somebody who's been through some of the struggles that she comes through comes into church, you know what's one of the most intimidating things for someone like that? A 70-year-old who looks like they bought their outfit at Belk, right? Just somebody like that because they think these, this person kind of looks like they have themselves together, distinguished. Uh, what do they want to do with me? And all you ever did was love. And all you ever did was welcome. And it changed lives. And that's, that's what the Bible tells us is all we're ever supposed to do. Because when Jesus sat at that table uh, before he was to be arrested with his disciples, when he first broke bread and said, this is my body, when he first took wine and said, this is my blood, he, 
he wasn't doing that with a bunch of guys around that table who'd earned their spots. He wasn't doing that to a bunch of those guys who were legacies, who had been born into it through their parents. Uh, There included people who in that group who got on the wrong side of the law. There included uh, people who were known as immoral. Uh, There were uneducated fishermen. And he said, you all, he's either Lord of all or he's Lord of some. If you believe he's Lord of all, if you want him to turn your life and your world upside down, then you're invited today to come to this table, to receive him and to be a part of his community that goes out into the world and says, hey, you've heard it works like this, but let me tell you, there's something different and there's something so much better. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you today and we thank you that on that night before he was to be arrested, Christ took bread. He gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as holy and living sacrifices, celebrating that Christ is resurrected that he is reigning and that he is returning and until that day when he returns when we see him face to face when we know even as we are known let us even now give all honor and glory all power and praise to you almighty God because you have included in your love and care even them and we know you've included even them because you've included even us amen thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.